This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book today is titled Singapore Slingshot, Adventures of an American Expat in Asia. Our author and the American expat is Mark Nickerson. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jay. I appreciate it. I have uh, read a lot about Singapore, but not enough that uh, would fill a book. Tell me your experiences. What was the reason you decided to choose Singapore as uh, an overseas adventure? Well, it actually uh, it came down to uh, a choice between Singapore or London. And I had already been traveling to Asia quite a bit. I felt like I had a, a stronger network there. And from a businessman's perspective, it felt like that's where there was more growth opportunity for me. So... Uh, it, it really came down to where I felt I had the, the most career potential at the time, and that was that was the high-growth market of Singapore. Share with our listeners a little of your, your history as far as uh, uh, the industry you were in and, and how that fit into Singapore's uh, culture. Uh, I was working in the high-tech industry. I'd been in, the, uh, in that industry for about 10 years. Um, I specifically don't list the employer that I was working for at the time in the book, and so I'll, I'll leave that uh, out of the conversation. Sure. It's probably not that relevant anyway. Um, but working in the computer industry, working in uh, in what we considered emerging markets at the time, uh, especially around Southeast Asia, the high growth markets of uh, India and China, uh, and then some of the, the solid mainstays of the tech industry when you go and look at Korea, at Japan, uh, Singapore became kind of a... Uh, financial and a business hub for that whole Asia-Pacific region. And so moving to Singapore was a good step for me career-wise. Um, and then the uh, the industry being based there uh, kind of led to other opportunities after I left that initial employer that took me to Asia. Uh, there were still plenty of other tech opportunities um, that still had me traveling all over the region there. Singapore is linked to China uh, but they are trying to have a separate identity. Is that a, a correct evaluation of the of the nation? Or of the um, I think it's an oversimplification, perhaps. Sure. Um, you, you'll find that Singapore is linked to a great many countries. Uh, if you take a look at their history as a trading post, as kind of a, a waypoint between um, the Indian subcontinent and, uh, and the Far East markets of China, Korea, Japan you'll find that there are significant influences from a variety of different cultures there. Uh, China tends to be a fairly dominant one. Um, you'll still find that there's a strong push for Mandarin to be the, the primary language of Singapore, although it is still English and there are four official languages there. Yes, there is a very strong, strong uh, Chinese identity within Singapore, um, but also very much an independent one. Um, you'll find that there is 
I wouldn't necessarily say so much a desire to be independent of China, but more a belief that Singapore is unique and not a not a Chinese satellite by any stretch of the imagination. Very wealthy, also. Extremely wealthy. You will uh, you will find more wealth on average in Singapore than just about any other place in Asia that you would travel to. It, uh, and it is it is truly phenomenal for such a small island such a small nation to to be so so financially successful similar to dubai except in the uh, far east would it be? uh similar to dubai except no um, oil with the the major exception that the uh that the wealth seems to be i would say a little bit more widespread and a little bit more economically accessible to newcomers to the market as well uh, people still looking to make a, a name for themselves and to make a fortune for themselves can do so in singapore what motivated you to decide to share your memoir and your trip and your visit to Singapore? Uh, I've always always been fascinated by writing. I've always been a reader. And at the time that I decided that it was, it was time to get out of Singapore, it was time to head back home for a little while, um, there, was a, there was a need within me to, to take a break from that corporate lifestyle, uh, but at the same time also to explain where I'd been. Um, and so it started off as a project as, as kind of a way for me to examine that experience and to write it down. And along the way, it became more of a, an idea that maybe there's a, maybe there's a book in this and, and something that somebody else could take away from it. And uh, I tried to, to do that in a, in a humorous way. I tried to do that in a way that is relatable through anecdotes rather than a dry tome on this is Singapore and this is what you need to know and this is how business is conducted. Uh, I try to write it as a, as a human experience because ultimately that's that's what my adventure there really was. It was uh, it was a learning experience more as a, as a person than as a businessman. It was a uh, it was a series of misadventures and uh, and good times that I felt would be a very relatable story about someone finding something out about themselves that they didn't necessarily know going in. Culturally, what was the first and biggest shock that you encountered, in addition to the bathroom adventure that I see mentioned in your book? Was there anything <laughs> else that was startling to you? Um, well, that's the thing. is You, you would expect a, a massive sort of culture shock moving halfway around the world and Perhaps the, the biggest shock was the, the lack of shock. Um, landing in Singapore, it, it's very, um, for lack of a better term, westernized. Hmm. It's, a, uh, it's a very easy place to adapt to in a lot of ways. And so uh, sitting right next to hawker stalls selling bowls of noodles or pig organ soup, you'll also find a Burger King and a Starbucks. Um, and so saying that the food was a shock, well, it didn't have to be. Uh, you could you could just as easily avoid uh, local food local food culture. Um, Was the, there the any business environment? Is the same sort of high paced, um, rapid environment that you might find any place uh, in the U.S. or any place in Europe uh, with a, a strong, hardworking, dedicated employee force? And so it was. There was kind of that that sense of disconnect of why aren't things more different than they are. Hmm. Residentially, what was the market like, real estate? <laughs> it is one of the most expensive real estate markets in the world. Um, and so finding a place, we had, 
relocated with our two dogs. So finding a place that we could set them up where they had a, a yard to, to run in, to play in, where we felt like we had enough space to entertain, uh, where we had enough space within the house that I could work from home as needed. It was significantly more expensive than we had anticipated even prior to the move. So yeah, it's, it's, a, uh, it's an expensive sort of place to live, but also very unique. You find these little enclaves, little neighborhoods that are charming isn't necessarily the right word, but uh, very unique and unto themselves. And so where we ended up living out along the, uh, the East Coast Highway, out towards the airport, was well away from most of the traditional expat communities, but it was also an area that had a lot to offer for us. And so we ended up in a, in a larger home than maybe we thought we would have originally and, uh, and ended up with some great neighbors out of the deal, too. The common language referred to as a slang English is slinglish. Is that difficult to adapt to in communicating with the native Singaporeans? Ah, <laughs> Singlish is a, is a fun language. Um, and I think to, to some extent, every expat ends up picking up a little bit of Singlish. It's not difficult to communicate. Um, it's, uh, it's sort of a, a casual, informal sort of slang language that, that comes out. But uh, for more traditional communication, everyone understands English seemingly pretty well. Huh. Uh, occasionally you will find, um, especially among the, the older generations, uh, people whose primary language is um, one of the Chinese dialects um, or perhaps uh, one of the, uh, the Indian dialects. And communication can be a little bit more difficult there with Singlish being an appropriate bridge. So understanding a little bit of it can sometimes be very helpful. But uh, no, it's, it's not difficult to pick up the basics of Singlish, uh, but I think that only uh, a true native speaker, a true Singaporean, is ever really going to have a, a complete vocabulary in Singlish. Who do you think is going to find your book appealing, and who did you write it for? Uh, I wrote it for myself originally. <laughs> like I said, it was, right. it was an opportunity for me to examine that period of my life and kind of get some of my thoughts down on paper. Uh, but I think at this point, anyone, who, uh, anyone who's interested in traveling, anyone who's interested in extended travel or in being an expat, in moving their lives overseas, is going to find something appealing in the book. Uh, for that matter, if you've never considered doing that, uh, but just enjoy reading about uh, other people's adventures, reading about other people's uh, anecdotes, other people's stories, um, told from a humorous perspective. I, I try to keep it light throughout the book. I try not to get too, uh, too weighty or too maudlin. Um, I think anyone who enjoys that sort of a lighthearted read is going to find something to, uh, to really enjoy in, in Singapore Slingshot. Do you feel that approach perhaps sets your book apart from other travel adventures that are out there? I really do, um, at least within the, the Asia subgenre. Uh, as we were getting ready to, to relocate, we were obviously trying to consume as much information as we could about what was going to be our new home. And what we found were a lot of very practical but fairly dry uh, expat guides to Singapore and to other places within Asia. Uh, we found the, the typical uh, Lonely Planet sort of uh, travel guides. Uh, but what we didn't find was anything that, that really kind of told us how it was. It didn't tell us kind of the, the personal experience. And so I think that's what set Singapore Slingshot apart is it's not just a guidebook. It's not just a, 
uh, a list of resources or a list of ideas or a, a compilation of facts and figures about a place. There is some element of those things within the book uh, as we talk about various locations, as we talk about various aspects of establishing a life in Singapore. Uh, but we do it in the context of a, of a story. We do it in the context of my story. Uh, and I think that makes it something that people can relate to in a very different way than they might any other sort of informational resource on the topic. Is there an underlying message that popped to the surface as you completed your book? There really was. Um, and it was the it was kind of the message that drove me home from Asia as well. And that's that um, as you as you move around in the world, the world is necessarily going to change you um, in good ways and in bad. And for me, that message became understand who you are um, and understand what you want out of this life and out of your travels. Um, it, it would have been very easy for us to be consumed into a very different lifestyle than what we had anticipated prior to our move. It would have been very easy to be consumed into, um, into a culture that maybe we weren't necessarily looking for. Uh, and that's not to say that we didn't have a good time, and it's not to condemn uh, that lifestyle or condemn that culture. It's simply to say that unless you're very confident in knowing who you are and what you want, uh, be prepared that you're going to find some things out about yourself as you uh, as you go through that sort of uh, an experience. 218 pages. Uh, there must have been some challenges in completing your first book. What were they, and how did you overcome them? Uh, <laughs> there were a lot of challenges. I mean, first of all, it's the, the first time I've ever sat down to write something that long. And so just the, the organizational complexity of, okay, what makes it into the book and what does not um, kind of became a a sticking point for me, where at various times I felt like I either had way too much that I was trying to put in or not nearly enough. Uh, I didn't want to turn this into a three or 400-page monstrosity that people felt like they were slogging their way through. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I, I didn't want to turn it into a pamphlet. And so uh, trying to figure out which stories to tell, uh, which ones uh, created the best story arc for me um, in terms of really getting across the, the message that I was trying to from kind of our, for lack of a better term, our wide-eyed wonder upon landing uh, all the way through sort of a, a jaded acceptance of, of kind of who we had become uh, by the end of the book. I, I wanted to tell that story arc in, in a way that was able to reflect as many of the different places that we visited. I wanted to tell that in a way that reflected some of the challenges but also some of the triumphs that we had along the way. Um, and so that was really kind of the, uh, the big challenge for me was figuring out what goes in and what doesn't. And then along the way, I mean, there were just other, other personal challenges as well. What I thought was going to be a one- or two-year project turned into three years. Starts and stops along the way that make you wonder about, am I really doing what I should be doing? Is writing this book really what I need to be doing right now? You uh, were in the Far East between 2006 and 2011. The title of the book, again, is Singapore Slingshot, Adventures of an American Expat in Asia. Our author, Mark Nickerson. Mark, where can my listeners get copies of your book? Uh, available right now on, uh, on Amazon, on barnesandnoble.com. Uh, there are several other independent booksellers that uh, that also have it available on their uh, on their websites. So I would say, take a look at your uh, uh, your favorite bookstore. Uh, if they don't have it, ask them to order it. Good advice. 
Uh, 218 pages, uh, I think an appropriate length for a memoir of this type. Thank you, Mark, for sharing the background story and to uh, Singapore Slingshot. Thank you very much, Jay. I appreciate you having me on the show. Honored to visit with you. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the iUniverse line today. I'm Clint Yates. We're joined today by author Barbara De La Cuesta. She is an award-winning author, as well as being a Spanish teacher and ESL instructor both here and abroad. She has a book out called Henrietta Rose, which is part of a bigger trilogy that we're going to talk about today, and she joins us now on the iUniverse line. Hello, Barbara. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much. So, Henrietta Rose, this is kind of a book that's kind of stuck in the middle of three books that, that you've written that kind of deal with, in a fiction kind of way, the issue of alcoholism. That's right. Tell, tell us a little bit about why, first tell us why you decided to approach that in, in a fiction. I, I know it's kind of based loosely on some of your own experience, but why did you approach it in a, in a fiction kind of novel form? Um. I began uh, taking notes. Uh, I was living in Waltham, Massachusetts, a very interesting city of immigrants, uh, working class city. I, I was working with elderly people in uh, recreation, and I was also teaching ESL uh, to immigrants. And uh, I began to take notes just to sort of portray that city. And uh, characters began to come to me. And uh, one of the characters was a woman who, uh, the, the, the novel or the notes took place in restaurants, church basements, church services, uh, elderly daycare centers, and places like that, and and the streets, and also a homeless uh, shelter and a soup kitchen where I worked. And uh, the character of Henrietta Rose came to me as one of the uh, participants in a day center. Uh, Henrietta Rose 
I imagined, had uh, drunk enough alcohol to uh, bring on uh, a disease known as Kosakoff, <laughs> in which she had trouble walking, and she had a lot of trouble with recent memory. So, and she's also elderly. Um, she uh, copes with her lack of, or her trouble with remembering recent events by writing everything down. And, uh, but her memory of her past is absolutely intact and lucid, as I, I've noticed in alcoholics I've known who have this syndrome. Uh, so she remembers her childhood very well. And uh, so as she goes about uh, learning uh, how to paint in a naive style in one of her activities, uh, she remembers her past, and she remembers living in, uh, being married to a, an engineer who worked in foreign cities and being part of the upper classes of those cities, and having been famous for her parties, where she drank uh, some very fancy liquor at the beginning and some very cheap liquor <laughs> uh, that uh, she could find in the, in countries in South America where she lived and in India where she also lived. But uh, of course this brings her low and she becomes uh, dependent on uh, um, social services at the end. She had been very wealthy but manages to squander it. And uh, so she, uh, she attends the day center and uh, sometimes performs on her harp for them she, she has a very uh, she has a very good education and she grew up in a wealthy family and some of these talents she can still master and she's also called on to speak often in AA meetings uh, one of her uh, activities is setting up a meeting, setting up for a meeting, setting out the literature and the cookies and the coffee. <laughs> and so all that's uh, chronicled. And then uh, some of the, the talks she hears, and then the talks that she gives, uh, which are highly appreciated uh, for their humor and uh, so she sounds like quite the character in her early days. She sounds like quite the character, Barbara, in her early days when yes. she was struggling yes. with She's alcoholism, and then in her in towards the end of her life, she was quite the character as well. Yes, yes, uh, and uh, so the the book involves uh, sort of her going back to one of her now that she's been sober for a good number of years and she feels that she's lost contact with a grandson and with a um, well mainly with a grandson she, she uh, 
plan some dinners. It's really about dinners. And uh, her first dinner is just for her grandson and her son-in-law. Her daughter has died, and a large part of the novel involves her, recently sober, accompanying her daughter, who has ovarian cancer, to a treatment center in Seattle, Washington, and later, as a last hope, to Mexico. Mm. The daughter dies, and uh, Henrietta is going after that trip, after coming back from that trip. She's going to her family home in uh, western Massachusetts, where her brother still lives in the uh, family home and drinks. He has not recovered. And uh, on the way there, she loses her ability to walk. So she's talking, taken off the train and put in Waltham Hospital and then put in subsidized housing in Waltham. And so the present, she's attending these day centers and AA meetings. And then she begins to give these dinners, which tickle her greatly, first for her grandson, and then for all her friends, people she's met in AA, a young girl she's tried to help a little bit who's very colorful, and some other colorful drunks that she knows. And that's her last grand dinner party in which she reconnects with her brother because the other long flashback is her shared childhood with her brother. So I know, Barbara, as part of this book, you really uh, you really believe in the efforts and the program at AA, and I, I think you were really trying to show that through Henrietta of how that program works and how, despite yes. it being kind of an old school almost yes. in today's high-tech society, a very successful yes. uh, program for people yes. who suffer from yes. alcoholism. Yes. It's, uh, there's nothing new age about AA, it's very old-fashioned. It's uh, spiritually oriented, and it it just has so many wonderful stories of, of people being saved. Uh, Henrietta Rose is a very sophisticated woman, but she eventually would have said that she was saved in the same sense as a, a religious conversion. That puts some people off, but it, to me, it's what's unique about AA. It's a tough, tough program. It's simple, and on the other hand, it requires you to do very difficult things. And not everyone is successful, but success, I can see, just brings the greatest happiness and strength to people. And you know this, Barbara, by personal experience because yes, I you, do. you tell you've you've told me before we started today that you too had a had a yes. problem with alcohol and alcoholism. Yeah. Yes. The only thing I might share with Henrietta is I'm a I'm an intellectual person. <laughs> and often they don't get a they don't get the fact that you you go through the twelve steps and then you start over and you do them again 
and by the time you're the age of Henrietta Rose, you've perhaps done them thousands of times. And that's what intellectual people need to learn that simplicity and that discipline. So this is part of a three-book trilogy. Barbara, tell us how that fits in, just kind of a thumbnail sketch of the overall uh, story with the three books and, and what okay. you hope that they accomplish. Yeah. Well, what happened is I wrote the initial book, which takes place in all these places, AA meetings, day centers, restaurants, and um, two of the people that... Uh, are in these places at this certain time. It's a certain year in the 80s that I'm concerned with because there's a, a shuttle orbiting. The shuttle of Columbia is orbiting. Uh, the other character that, like Henrietta, just demanded to have her story told at more length was... Uh, Rosa, who is a, a home health aide, uh, an immigrant, an undocumented immigrant from Honduras. And they just, I didn't intend to write a trilogy, but they just said, you have to write about us, uh, Rosa and Henrietta. So, Barbara, what is it that you hope that people, whether it's through any of the three books, uh, specifically perhaps through um, Henrietta's story, what do you hope people take away from from your books? Well, Henrietta's story, I just hope that they will have a, uh, a better knowledge of what AA is. It's it's a it's a love song. It's my love song to AA. Uh, it's not scientific, but uh, it just came out of my love and my my uh, immersion in meetings. I, at that time in my life, I went every day, and uh, it was a very trying time, but it was a very happy time. So is, is and I continue to go every day. Mm-hmm. So Hopefully, is, Henry had to touch too. <laughs> so, is the is the message here, uh, Barbara, that alcoholism is something that you can deal with, that you can beat, but you have to get some help yes. through places like AA? Yeah, it yes, it requires a life change. I, I think that's something I didn't say. It requires a life change, and I don't think any other program that's out there does. It, it, it requires that you apologize <laughs> and that you write down all your feelings and discuss them with other people. It, it's a very tough program. And part of Henrietta's journey is going back and relating to people that she totally ignored at her years of alcoholism, especially her daughter, who she accompanies on this uh, attempt to find a cure until she dies. Uh, she needs to make amends to this child, and, which is something that I had to do as well. Mm. Well, again, the name of the book is Henrietta Rose, part of a trilogy. 
uh, written by Barbara De La Cuesta, who's been with us today on the iUniverse line. Tell us a little bit, Barbara, where can we find Henrietta Rose and some of perhaps the entire yes. trilogy or some of your other works? Yes. Um, there, uh, on the iUniverse website, it can be purchased as, either as an ebook or as a paperback. It also, it, I also have uh, some books on Kindle, um, and there's a we- I have a website on Amazon about some of my other books, and uh, um, I have the uh, the three novels together mm-hmm. can be purchased also on Kindle. Uh, I will have them on there soon. They're not right now. So it it can be bought as a, a paperback and as an ebook. E-book. And that is uh, the way people like it today. They like choices. So Barbara De La Cuesta, the author of Henrietta Rose, uh, we thank you for being with us today on the iUniverse Line. Thank you. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Age Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, God Is. And the author is Omer Dawson, and Omer joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Omer. Hello. How are you this morning? Well, great to have you with us. Uh, Right from the start, I want everyone to know that Omer is about to turn 96 years young, and he's full of life and energy and uh, devotion to God. I guess that sums it up, isn't it? That's all there is. (laughs) That's why the book is called God Is. There's nothing else. There isn't anything else. Now, this whole book came to you... uh, Title chapter from uh, from the first word right to the end. It was all you felt inspired. The the spirit worked right through you. Is that what you're claiming? It uh, came to, from from my, my inner soul, from the, from the higher spirit. Yes. Well, I, all I could do is I could sit down with nothing in my mind. My mind is completely blank all the time. I'm uh, doing the the typing. And then I put my fingers on the typewriter, and they just start moving. I have no idea what's typing. It's all automatic uh, uh, communication. Well, before we get into some of the details about your book, God Is, tell us a little bit about yourself, Omer, a little bit about your background and how this book came about. Well, 
I, I've uh, tried to, to live the, according to the, the way that Jesus told us that we, we could, uh, and uh, I've tried to, to achieve all of the things that Jesus has, has uh, done in his life. And, uh, and uh, being tuned into the Father all the time, one hundred percent of the time, it makes it possible to do wordle things. I, I have been able to help many people and work as an angelic uh, 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 source to help help the Lord in saving people's lives. This type of thing, but um, uh, whatever the Lord calls me to do, I will do. Well, you've been a teacher for many, many years. You've been a teacher. Yes, I was a teacher for thirty-six years. And you've also and I, you've also I taught uh, I taught art classes because I I wanted everybody to see the beauty of life. I taught everyone to, to see the loving beauty of uh, of all existence in life. And you've been a healer. And a healer for forty years too. I was a healer at the Pasadena Awareness Center many many years ago, and uh, I'm of course I'll always I'll always be a healer. I I asked the Father to constantly um, work with me to, to continue healing people. And you've also you one lady came up to me one day in their church and said, "Heal me," and I was taken back. I I was so shocked I couldn't believe it. Nobody ever walked up and said, heal me, but they put one hand on each side of her shoulder, and I said, you are a perfect expression of God's love on this earth, and she walked away, and people told me she was completely healed. I wanted to go up and tell her that, I'm sorry, I couldn't heal her, but she had to heal herself because of her faith, but uh, I never got to tell her that. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what Jesus often said to those who he healed. Uh, your faith has made you whole. That's absolutely right. And uh, and her faith was so great. Well, I said that that very simple expression of God's love, she just uh, walked away completely healed. Now, you've also been a psychic for many years. Yes, I have. And you've had some great experiences helping people. Yes, I have. Uh, that's what we're all here for. We're all here to help each other. We're all living souls on this earth, and we've all been here together before. So people don't realize that, that we are all actually are here many, many times, and and run into many, many people we've known before, and those souls at all levels of uh, consciousness from before. Yes. So where did we come from? You say we were before. What? What? How? How do you view that? I have experienced many, many lifetimes before, and um, the Lord comes to me whenever I have a need to know. Like a friend of mine was telling me that we had uh, had dinner with them, and they, they, and after the dinner, they they were telling me that they had the secret of how the ancient Egyptians used to forge copper tools, make them as hard as tool steel. And uh, my gosh, I, um, this fellow that was talking to me was a chemist in, in uh, California there, and uh, he said that they found a, a whole big cave full of cave forges, and 
They won't let anybody go in and see him in Egypt, but he and his friend who works at JPL both knew the secret of their forging copper tools. So I turned the placemat over. I wrote a whole page on the back of the placemat. I said, how's this sound? And this chemist blessed, and he looked at me and said, how'd you know how to do it? I said, because I was a chemist in ancient Egypt. <laughs> yes. It all flowed right through me. Our minds, our, our, our souls are computerized so that we can go back and recall anything we've experienced in previous lifetimes at any time. So you want to help us feel close to God. That's very, very important. Why is that an absolute must, as you, as you put it? Well, God is all there is. That is it. And your whole total life and your whole total experience and environment is all of the Father. There is one thing that we enjoy here that, that the Lord didn't give us. Yes. That's true. Another thing you say that his power is only for good. That's right. It is for good. If it's used for evil, it's a, it's a, it's harmful. Then we do have to we have to do live in, in a positive attitude, thinking positively about everything in life. Uh, the natives are really uh, almost evil and sinful, so evil thinking. Uh, and negative thinking is uh, is uh, something that uh, Jesus did not uh, 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 think we should even use or consider negative thinking. We have to always be loving and positive souls. Because God does not love one person more than another. That's right. We are we are all His loving sons and daughters, and we're all related to the the Father. And there's no reason why we should have conflict and, and fighting among uh, mankind because we are all brothers. And we've, when we do realize that, and um, then we will have peace on this earth. And we're all living in universal, according to universal law, too. There will be no need for firemen or policemen or, or hospitals or anything like this. Everybody's going to be lovingly working for the the Lord. Our true employer is of the Father. He's the one that put us on this earth and and gives and give us a dedication to what we're going to be doing when we come on earth. So we're not only one with each other, but we're one with the earth, with the plants, with the animals. Everything. I, I, of course, I'm spending my summer, summers in Oregon here, and I'm I'm living among the, this forest of trees, and I I can I can just live and enjoy the fact that every tree is, belongs to me as well. I'm a one with every tree and every bush, every every plant on this earth. And we all are, and that's one reason we can give thanks for everything that we even eat. All the food and all the meat, everything else, is, is something that the Father has given us, and we have to be grateful for that. What about race or religion? Well, 
race, there's only one race, and that, that race is the, the human race. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we, and, the, and, there's, and there's no such thing as, uh, there is color, but the, the, the color is not important when it comes to race all together. The important thing is that we are still all truly sons and daughters of the Most High. The, the, the Lord has put us here and we are created in, in His image so why would everyone feel that they are better than anyone else no, no, there's no reason for anyone to feel that they are no better than anyone else on this earth now what about religion? religion we have a hard time explaining it because I, I don't agree with all of the dogma and the Ritual that's involved with religion, and uh, and uh, that's what makes it different. And the, some some religions have um, chants, some have long deep meditations, but they are all tuned into the Lord. That's the important aspect of the whole thing. They all are tuned in completely to the Lord. And then that's important as far as religion, but religions themselves become political entities themselves. And that's why um, the Muslims and the Christians are all fighting each other today because they're looking for for political power. And then this is not uh, the reason for having a religion. What's the difference between a soul with a physical body and one without it? The soul is has is, is, is not changed at all. The soul is the same, and uh, and, and it's here eternally. As the soul actually uh, never dies, and then. Uh, and that soul will uh, pick up a human body uh, within minutes or, or hours uh, after the birth of the child, and um, that that soul remains with with that uh, body until the human body is no longer needed anymore. You also talk about, uh, as you put it, loving souls on other planes are doing their best to help new arrivals adjust to this new existence. Now, help us That's understand. True. Please help us understand. We are that. always tuned in to all living souls, no matter where they are uh, on, on the other uh, other levels of consciousness, and uh, that that means all of, all of our past realities that we've known uh, are. Are loving you and um, and looking after you as well. Those loving souls that have been with you before, and and you are, should be very very close to all of the people that you've known in this life that are not here anymore because they don't have the physical body anymore. The physical body was only a temporary method for them to get around it. The soul is, is eternal, though. So your greatest message to the world, what would you say is your greatest message? My greatest message would be the I amness of everything. I am of the Father. The, the two most important words in the English language are I am. And when they asked me to make a report on the, the book, they said don't do it in the in first person singular. I said 
I have to write it in the first person singular because that's the way it came through to me from the I am. And the I is not the ego of my personal ego. It is the Lord's ego, if the Lord has the ego. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Omer, you're an amazing man. You've done so much in your life, and we can tell you're very passionate and devoted to God and trying to do what He expects you to do. That's right. Uh, he is my employer, and uh, I'm... And I, and, uh, he expects me to to uh, do the very best I can as long as I'm here, and I uh, that's one thing I look forward to doing because I enjoy getting up every morning and saying, "Lord, here I am. I'm your servant. You tell me what you want me to do, and I will do it." Well, thank you so yes. much, Omer, for joining us. I'm sure we can get your book and all the. Uh, online retail outlets like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and of course, uh, everyone can go to iUniverse and get God is. Uh, any any royalties I get from this book, I I put in the money for buying more books so I can give away to my friends and loving souls on this earth. So I I don't don't uh, plan on taking any money out of it at all. This is the Lord's work, and I'm only doing it for the Father who put me here. Well, thank you so much, Omer, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Well, thank you. Um, thank you for having me here, and I'd be glad to come back anytime you like, like for me to speak again. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.